Hey Church, thanks for joining us for our first uh, week back on video. Um, thanks for taking some time out of your uh, weekend to, to stop for a moment and to log in or log on or track down the video um, and watch along and we hope that you're encouraged today. We want you to know that um, probably just like you, we're hanging out for the day that Canberra is COVID free again. Uh, that we can meet together as a community, uh, physically uh, present together. But there's so much happening in the meantime. Uh, lockdown doesn't mean that church has stopped. It's just functioning in a different way. And so we'd encourage you to make sure that you're reaching out, that you're connecting. We're into week nine of our series on James. And it's actually quite remarkable, the point that we find ourselves. Um, it seems like an odd place um, to think that it's remarkable that we're online for this message. But I think you'll see as we work our way through uh, this second part of James chapter 4 uh, that there's some really incredible stuff there for us as a community that is really particular and specific to today. Before we get to chapter 4 though, I want to go way back to the start. You might recall that some nine, ten weeks ago, we started this series in James by looking at James chapter 1 and verse 1. And I want you to have a look there for me. The words will come up on the screen as well. Um, but let's read uh, James 1, 1 together. And it says this, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. You might notice that we called this series a blueprint for living faith. And we've talked a lot about that, haven't we? We've talked a lot about the fact that our faith needs to be beyond just knowing, but it needs to be about doing that faith should be something that sparks us into action, that our lives should reflect that. We've talked about the fact that it's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one-time skeptic of um, who Jesus came to be, but the one whose life was dramatically transformed when he met the resurrected Christ. It's remarkable what he writes here at the start of James, because you might notice, and we didn't really delve too deeply into this when we started the series, but James is writing to the Jewish believers scattered. If you look back at the book of Acts, in Acts, uh, the start of Acts, the first um, seven chapters talk about this remarkable growth of the church, that as the gospel of Christ was preached, literally thousands were coming um, to, to know him, to join the church. Um, and this body of believers, this, this incredible growth was experienced. If you look at Acts chapter 8, you'll read right at the start of that chapter that there was this great persecution that broke out. So just while there had been an incredible uh, growth in the church, there was then this, this persecution that broke out that really uh, challenged the believers. And what happened was they actually scattered. So it tells us that only the apostles remained um, in place and all the other believers, they fled. They fled to other towns. They fled to distant places. And what they found all of a sudden was they had gone from um, these, these thriving, bustling Christian community uh, together to uh, this disparate body. They were scattered. It's a little bit like our situation, isn't it? I mean, we're not facing that persecution. We understand um, and we're fully supportive of the fact that we need to keep people safe and so we can't meet together. But what I'm saying is that we've gone from a couple of weeks ago being together, um, physically meeting together, uh, spending time in community over food and meals and in small groups. We've done that uh, and that's been our way of life. And then all of a sudden over the last couple of weeks, that's dramatically changed. 
we've, fi- we've found ourselves um, isolated. Some of us are, are, are quarantined. All of us are locked down. And all of a sudden, it's, it's added a new, I think, dimension or maybe requirement or expectation on our faith. It's for some of us, our Sunday morning gatherings or our small groups, they're kind of the, the place where we recalibrate ourselves. We come along to that, we've, we've uh, experienced the week, we come in, we, we, we spend time in, in worship and in the Word together, and we kind of leave recharged, ready to face the things that we need to face. And instead, now that's not so much the case anymore, is it? We're isolated, just like the, the early church was, we're, we're separated and so there's a, a requirement on us, I guess. There's, a, uh, I guess, the, the need for us to really own our faith. There's a need for us to really uh, be responsible for it, for us to say, I am deciding that this is significant to me. I am deciding that I am going to um, really uh, make this a serious part of my life. And I know so many of you that is already the case. Uh, But it's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Because so often in lockdown, we can find our days uh, disappear, that um, a lot of distractions creep in, that even though we kind of can't do much, that the things that we uh, should be doing or ought to be doing uh, seem to, we run out of time for them. I was talking to some pastors after the last lockdown. The pastors found that 10% 10 to 15% of their church congregation um, just kind of gave up on, on faith or gave up on the church, gave up on the body of Christ. And so I want to challenge you at the start of this. James is an incredible place for us to be because the book of James is, is about that core message that people who know Christ should act like they know Christ, that there should be something remarkably different about us, that our priorities should be different, that the way we spend our time should be different, that the decisions that we make, that our, the way we use our finances, the, the way that we speak and we act should be different. And so can I implore you, church, that don't let this lockdown separate you, don't let it isolate you further, but rather press into community, press into the body of Christ, press into your relationship with God, spend time in, in that time that you've clawed back from the busyness of life, from the running around, for many of you from things like kids sport, claw back some of that time and spend it in the word and spend it in prayer. Because James is writing to you and to me. He's writing to us, the church, the, the believers of Christ, the people who in this season have found ourselves scattered. All right, with that as our start, let's jump into James chapter 4, which is our text today. We're going to work through the rest of the chapter, and we're actually going to split it into two parts, and and you'll see that split as we read. So let's read uh, verse 11 and 12 together. It says this, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbour? There's been a really clear pattern over the last number of weeks, hasn't there? We've seen right at the start of James, he challenges us to see our trials and temptations in a different light. Then he starts talking about the condition of our hearts and the way that that shapes the words that we speak. And in the last couple of chapters, uh, James has been uh, challenging another thing that many of us struggle with, and that is an arrogant spirit. 
And that's where he goes to here, doesn't he? He is challenging us in verses 11 and 12 to not be so proud or so arrogant um, as to take the place of God or take the role of God in the life of another believer. And he actually says this in, in verse 11. He says, don't speak evil against each other or don't speak evil against uh, one another. It sounds kind of serious, doesn't it? You see, the Greeks had this a word for that phrase. And that word in the Greek um, is kata aleo, which was often translated as that speak against or speak evil. And in the New Testament, in the Greek of the New Testament, but also in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that phrase was used in a number of places. And I want to take you um, back to a couple of them very briefly. The first one is in Numbers 12, 1 to 8. We see that um, Aaron and Miriam, they speak against Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. And that word speak against is used there. In Numbers 21, 5, we read that the people of Israel, they kataleo or speak against God by complaining about their conditions in the wilderness. In Psalm 50, 20, the psalmist writes that a wicked person will speak against his brother and slander him with lies. Job's friends, we all know the story of Job, don't we? Job's friends in Job 19, 1 to 3, they speak against him using this same Greek word. They speak against him, insulting and crushing him with their words. And in 1 Peter 2, 12 and 3, 16, we read of unbelievers speaking against Christians and slandering them as evildoers. Well, what's the point of that? Well, the point is that we see through, the, through those examples that the, that the early church would have recognized this phrase that those who knew the scriptures would have seen and, and known about uh, these stories of people um, speaking against. And what James is saying to us is that when we take this position, when we take this responsibility that actually belongs to God and we place ourselves over the lives of others and we speak in judgment against them, that we're actually walking in step or walking in the pattern of people who do the same things, that we're walking in step of the underminers, of the grumblers, of the slanderers, and of those who crush others with their insults, because that's the pattern we see um, of this practice in Scripture. But I want to grapple with this for just a moment, because some of you might be sitting at home and saying, well, does that mean that we don't um, deal with, with wrong living, that we don't speak about it, that we don't implore one another on? And it's that imploring one another on, I think, that is the difference, isn't it? Because you see, what James is speaking against is he's, in, he's warning us to not become people who um, act as judge in the lives of others with the intention of, of crushing them. If I take you back to that example that we saw just a moment ago in Numbers 12, when um, Aaron and Miriam are speaking against um, Moses, what we see in that, in that story, and without going into depth, what we see is that they have actually spoken against Moses, not because he's living in sin, not because he's in error, not because they're trying to um, draw him back out of it and back towards God. There's actually this moment in that passage where they um, challenge and then speak out against Moses and they say, well, people say that um, God has spoken to Moses. Well, God's spoken to us as well. What makes him such a big deal? Why is he so important? People should be looking to us instead. And you see, that's the key, isn't it? Rather than um, drawing him out of sinful living, it wasn't there. It wasn't that, that pattern. What they were doing was they were actually um, speaking against him with a heart and desire to build themselves up, to elevate themselves and to crush him. 
And that's the challenge, isn't it? And I want you to consider is that when you do encourage others or when you do speak into the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ, where is your heart? That's what James has been asking us all the way through, isn't it? That our heart should be to build up. Our heart should be to speak words of peace. Our heart should be, be to speak words of encouragement and words of restoration and words of, of um, power into other people's lives rather than trying to drag them down, trying to crush their spirit and trying to take the place of God in judging them um, for their lives. And so what an incredible challenge that is. Let's move on to verse 13, and it says this, Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, verse 17, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. This is a very well-known part of James, isn't it? I reckon if I'd have quoted this at the start of our series together, that many of you um, would have recognized at least some of this. Some of you have probably heard um, people say at the end of, of, a, of a discussion where you've said, um, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, people have said, oh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. And some people say that and then they would um, quote this passage if you question them on it. But it's not really about that. It's not really about uh, the fact that we need to be gloomy about whether or not we'll live to see another day. It's actually about something quite different. And it shouldn't surprise us what James is writing about because, again, he's speaking about our heart. You see, what he's doing is he's challenging those of us and many of us live in this way um, uh, from time to time and sometimes more often. Um, he's challenging us that, that often we consign God to the backseat of our lives. And I want to take you through a couple of uh, points here. You see, often where we involve God and we include God in the miraculous. So where we need a miracle, where we've reached a situation, where we're stuck, where we feel trapped, uh, where we feel helpless, then we go to God. We go to God and we seek Him and we pray and we, and we believe that, that He's going to do something in our lives, but we consign Him in everything else to almost being on the edges, to being on the fringes of it, rather than being at the center of our day-to-day. We deal with things like our work and, and our families and our finances and our various responsibilities. We, we want to deal with them all ourselves and leave the big things, leave the problems, leave the miraculous to God. And what James is challenging is that we shouldn't do that. And he makes the point of this in, in uh, verse 13 where he says, Look here you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. He presents us with five things, five patterns uh, that most of us engage in. And the first one is that we set our own schedule. You see, he says that when we say today or tomorrow, many of us are used to living to our own schedule. He also says that we select our own path. When we say we'll go to this city or we'll go to that city, many of us too are selecting our own limits. We say we'll spend a year there. Or we'll do that for this length of time. He's challenging us that we decide on our own activities when we say, well, I'll engage in this um, practice or I'll engage in that business. And we predict our own outcome. 
when we declare, well, I'm going to go and do that and I'll make a profit. I want to say to you this morning or whenever you're listening that these things in and of themselves are actually not a problem. You see, God doesn't mind us making some plans. He actually calls us to be good stewards of our time, good stewards of our talent, good stewards of our resources. But what we need to make sure is that we are not um, taking those things and we're trying to control them. We're holding them with tight hands. We're holding our schedule. We're holding our outcome. We're holding our limitations. We're holding our path. um, We're holding those things with tight hands. Instead, he tells us to focus and look at it another way. You see, in verse 14 to 17, he says a couple of important things. He says, firstly, we really have no idea what the future will bring. Well, we know that. We're living that reality now. I think if we had have asked each other a couple of years ago, um, picture a world when, uh, none of us would have pictured this reality. And yet, here we are. And James reminds us of that. He reminds us that in the midst of all of our plans and and all of our um, expectations about what life might look like, that we really actually don't know what the future will bring. A lot of people, and I'm in that boat too, have found one of the really challenging things about the lockdown last year and the lockdown this year is that we've had things planned. We've had uh, things that were maybe holidays or family members. A number of people have missed out on really significant and important uh, activities and occasions because we don't really know what the future will bring. And James is reminding us of that. And he also reminds us of uh, kind of a more sobering thought. He tells us that life is fleeting. He tells us that uh, we are like a morning fog or a vapour and that really uh, God is the only one who knows the numbers of our days. Many of us have experienced that with family members and loved ones when we've all of a sudden discovered that life is actually fleeting. But it it doesn't have to be a... a, a, We don't have to be downcast because of that. Because James actually uh, tells us and challenges us with some, uh, some incredible things. In verse 15, he says to us, we should actually say that if the Lord wants us, we will live and we will do this or that. You see, what is he challenging us? That our heart should be aligned with God's will. That our decisions should be guided by God's will. And so what's he coming back to again? A heart transformed. A heart that says, God, I want you to be Lord over all of my life. I want you to be in the mundane. I want you to be in the great. I want you to be in the difficulty and in the celebration. God, I want your guiding and your leading in each step in every purpose, in every moment. And he rounds out this section with this. Verse 17, he says, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And I want to say it's easy to miss over this verse because it kind of sits at the end, but it's actually the key to the whole thing. And it reinforces again the message of this book. You see, he's telling us that there is a process here and it's twofold. The first step in the process is to know what the right thing to do is. And how do we do that? We do that through God's word. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it by seeking him in prayer and we do it through Christian community. And the second thing is, is to not only know the right thing to do, but what does he say? Do it. He tells us you need to know the right thing, but then you actually need to do something with it. You need to step out and you need to live. 
You need to let uh, that knowledge infiltrate and sink into your heart and then let it guide your actions. And so I want to suggest to you, just as we wrap up, I want to suggest to you this. I want you to ask yourselves these questions. So maybe you've got a bit more time. Uh, maybe you can just pause at the end of this this um, uh, message. Maybe you can throw some worship music on. But I want you to ask yourself these questions. The first one is, are there areas of my life that I'm holding onto control of and trying to keep away from God? Are there things that you have um, sequestered in as being yours and you're trying to keep them out of God's reach? Secondly, in what places and decisions recently uh, have I charged into without considering God's perspective? What things are you just making decisions on? What things are you just doing and acting without thinking first, what would God have me do? What has he called me to do here? Third, I want you to ask yourself, what decisions are in front of me now? What are the decisions that I'm going to make today, this week, this month? What are the big things and the small things that I haven't yet set before God? And then do it. Then seek him in prayer. Then spend time in his word. Then um, speak with, with other members of the church and, and seek wise, godly counsel. And the last thing. Do I view my plans? Do I view what I expect to occur next week and next month as ironclad guarantees? Or am I holding them lightly? Am I holding them saying, God, these are the things that I am planning to do. Um, here are the things that are the steps I'm planning to take. But God, you're in control. God, would you guide them? Would you shape me? Would you help me to step out knowing that in each one of these things that I am I'm serving you, that I'm, I'm stepping out in the gifts and the abilities that you've given me to, to know you and to make you known. And I'd encourage you to spend some time thinking about those things this week because that is what James calls us to do. Can I pray for you now? God, we uh, thank you for a chance, even though we're spread across many, many different lounge rooms, Lord God, uh, bedrooms, Father, dining rooms, uh, perhaps out for a walk, um, uh, right at the moment. Lord God, would you um, continue to grow us? Lord, as we work through the last couple of weeks of James, Father, would you continue to challenge us with the truth of your word so that we wouldn't just know it, Lord God, but that it would shape our hearts and that it would um, shape our steps, that we would live in such a way um, that we are uh, dynamically different. And Father, we just pray for your guidance. We pray for your leading. Lord God, we pray that we wouldn't be proud and to step in to your role in the lives of people, that we wouldn't um, be sitting in that, that role of judge to tear them down. Lord God, we pray that we would hold our plans with light hands. Lord God, that we would submit them before you, that we would um, be keen to uh, and desire for, for you to guide us, for us, our lives to be um, spent um, knowing you and, and making you known to others. And Lord, we thank you that wherever you've placed us, whether it is um, in a school or in a public service office or in um, a, a, a car yard or, or in a building site or, or at home with, with family and loved ones, well, whatever it is that you've called us to do, Lord, we thank you that we can do those things and we can know you in them and we can um, make you known as well. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would spend time this week, today even, reflecting, challenging our own selves and making sure that you are in the driver's seat of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Well, I want to say thank you again uh, for joining um, us today, joining us for this message. Make sure you keep connecting. Check your email. There's so many ways that you can connect as a church together. Well, God bless you. Make sure you reach out if we can help you at this time. Uh, But let's keep connecting and growing together.